Well, you know, the reality is that many of us do um, hide with masks. And typically those masks are our hurts or our habits or our hang-ups that we have in life. And Celebrate Recovery is designed to help people to take off masks and to really begin to see themselves as God sees them, as these loved children who He desires more than anything else, that they would be real with one another and in front of God. And I know that Celebrate Recovery is going to impact not only our church, but our entire community as lives and as families are changed because of what God's going to do in the midst of that. And so I just want to encourage you to be thinking about and praying for this new program that will start after the first of the year. And maybe some way that you could be a part of it. And one of the things that sometimes gets confusing is that people will say, well, you know, it's just about addiction, right? Like drug addiction or alcohol addiction. And Celebrate Recovery is more, more, so much more than that. If you have issues of anger, if you have issues of grief, if you're depressed, if you're going through depression, whatever that life hurt is, Celebrate Recovery is there to bring healing to it. If you would, I'd like you to pull this out of your program. It's a uh, little bookmark that uh, was in your program when you first walked in. And what I'd like you to do is to take this and put it uh, in the book that you're reading, maybe your Bible up on uh, the refrigerator, because I know you all will venture there eventually. And every time you see this, I just want you to be praying for the leadership and praying how God might encourage you to either come or to invite a friend um, that you could come and be a part of that. So please uh, take this home. We don't want them left here. So you can take them home and put them somewhere that will remind you uh, of that. Well, today we're in the second part of our Christmas series called Christmas of Another Kind. And today, what I want to talk about is overcoming fears. And uh, if you would, I'd like you to overcome a fear right now, and that is of reading Scripture out loud and having to stand up. So why don't you stand up with me for a second? You can look at the side screens, and we are going to read this together with a full voice. So kind of engage in this the best way that you know how. And uh, if you mess up on a word or two, I probably will also, okay? So don't worry about it. Well, let's read this together, one full voice. While they were in Bethlehem, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger. See, because there was no room for them in the inn. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Great job. You all get an A? All right. You can be seated. You knocked that one out of the park. So if you've never had a home run, you just hit one, okay? Now, I'd like to call your attention to this last verse, verse 10. Because I think it is the most powerful verse in the Christmas story. 
And in verse 10, it says this again. Do not be afraid. Stop right there. Do not be afraid. The central message of Christ coming to earth was a message, at least one of them, was do not be afraid. In fact, the message of Christmas is that. Do not be afraid. Today, no matter what is paralyzing your life, it can be overcome through the power of Christ. And it really can. Now, the second part of this verse says, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. And what I value most about that second part are those last three words. For all people. Not just the good people. Not just the saintly people. Not just for Billy Graham or Rick Warren or the Pope or, you know, some saintly few. But this whole message of do not be afraid is for all people, including you and including me. Now, the power of the message is that God wants to not just set you free from some of your fears, and most of us would be like, okay, if I get some, I'm good. But not just to set you free from some of your fears, but the Scripture says to set you free from all of your fears. The Bible says this, I cried out to the Lord in my suffering, and He heard me, and He set me free from all my fears. Folks, this Christmas, God wants to set you free from your fears. God wants to set all people free from all fears. Now, this past week, I looked up the word phobia to try to see how many phobias there were in the world. And at least the running list right now from one website was 530 phobias. I mean, there are enough phobias to give you a phobia of phobias. You know what I mean? I mean, phobias and fears can just consume us. And there are a lot of them that we face. There is agoraphobia. That is the fear of public places that you might not be able to escape. Like in church. You may not escape. None of you are really afraid though, are you? You're like, dude, I'll leave right now. What are you talking about? You know? Front page of the Star Press tomorrow. The jar. Everyone left. You know? No. But you're stuck here for another 30 minutes. So that's agoraphobia. My sister struggles from something called arachnophobia. A fear of spiders. And she freaks out if there are spiders. That was fun growing up. You know, you get one of those little plastic deals. Ooh, Lisa. Ah! You know? There's anthrophobia. Anybody know what that is? A fear of flowers. I never knew that existed. But from A to Z, you can go to a website and you can find all the phobias that are there. Now, this past week, I experienced one. It was called a melt-a-snowman phobia. Do you know what that is? That is the fear that my oldest daughter was going to find out that eventually the snowman might melt. Okay? 
And so on Monday, we got snow, and uh, I took Jordan. Here's a picture of Jordan and I. And we built a snowman. And there wasn't that much snow, so we had to dig all the snow up, put it in a big trash can, took it around the back side of our house, and we built this snowman together. Now, as we built it, uh, she was so excited. And she started hugging the snowman. And she kissed the snowman. And she patted him and said, you're my friend. And she was just so excited that Dad and her had created this. And Monday was great. And uh, Monday night, not so good. The head fell off. And she came out and she said, Daddy, the head, it's off. And so Daddy came to the rescue, put the head back on there, you know, put it around. And man, she thought I was all world, you know. And then Tuesday, the snowman stayed alive. But on Wednesday morning, Jordan got up and we got ready to eat breakfast. And I wasn't there. I'd already left for the day. But our babysitter was there and she said, Jordan just sat in her chair and just started crying because the snowman looked like this. (laughs) And all of a sudden, my fear of a melt-a-snowman phobia came a reality. Now, I'm joking a little bit here, but the reality is this, folks. There are some fears in your life that no one else knows, but you know. And they're real, and they're scary, and they're difficult for you to face in this world. In fact, I think all fears can be broken down into one of two things. The first kind of fear is what I call external fears. External fears. These are fears that come from the outside. And our external fears are very real. I mean, I don't know if you've learned this or not, but the world can be a very scary place. External fears are like the fear that 9-11 might just hit again. Or the fear of the war in Afghanistan. Or the fear of another economic crisis that more jobs would be taken away. Or just this morning, I don't know if you guys saw this, but in Thailand, they found an airplane that had landed from North Korea. And there were 35 tons of weapons including rocket-propelled grenades, rockets, and missiles, and no one knew where these were going to go. It's a scary place that we live in, and it's scary to know that there are people who want to not only take out America, but anything that looks for freedom. And those fears are external, and they're very real. The other basic kind of fear is what I call internal fears. Internal fears. I think these are fears that actually affect us more than external ones. We live with them every single day. They're fears like, does my life matter? Do people really like me? Are they talking behind my back? Am I raising my kids the way I'm supposed to? Am I going to make a fool of myself If I say something at work, will I lose my job? 
And the list goes on and on and on of our internal fears. Do you know what the greatest fear that Americans have is? Take a guess. The fear of public speaking. And the second fear is the fear of death. I was looking up research this week and I found a quote from Jerry Seinfeld. And Seinfeld said this. He said, so the reality is that when people go to a funeral, they would rather be in the casket than to have to give the eulogy, you know? And how true that is. Because fear can consume us like that. Friends, our fears are real. There's no doubt about it. We all face them. We all have them. And whether they're right up in front of our face or we try to hide them behind us, they are present. Now, the problem with our fears, especially our internal fears, is that they can distract us from being used by God. In fact, I want us to look at three fears that I think are the most powerful ones that keep us from being used by God. And ironically, I think these are three of the fears that both Joseph and Mary and Jesus faced the first Christmas family. The first fear that can distract us from being used by God is the fear of the unknown. The fear of the unknown. After Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph faced a lot of unknowns. I mean, was this barn and this stable in the midst of cows and manure and all kinds of stuff? The fear of Is our child going to get anything? Is this where God really wanted Jesus to be born? And they leave from that setting because the Scripture tells us there is no room for them anywhere else. But they begin to start wondering, where are we going to live? How are we going to provide basic needs for our son? Would we make enough money to survive? Will we be good parents? Will we actually fulfill the call that God has on our lives to bring in His one and only Son. And we know from last week that life goes fairly well for the first couple of years. At least the Bible doesn't tell us otherwise. But when year two comes, as we talked about last Sunday, all of a sudden the external fears and the internal fears of Joseph and Mary and Jesus hit. And the king at the time, King Herod, gets word that there is a king going to be born in Bethlehem from these wise men, and immediately he freaks out and he thinks that his power is going to be taken away, and so he becomes nervous and panic-stricken, and he freaks out. And he decides that all the boys, two years years of age and younger, will be killed. And Joseph and Mary, though, get wind of this through a dream from an angel through God, and they take off for Egypt. Now again, folks, this is a poor peasant family. If you've seen anything about the Afghanis and how poor they are, that's the type of poor I'm talking about. They were refugees. They feared the unknown. And the unknown just escalates more and more. They begin to start thinking, will we even make it to Egypt? Is there enough food to get us there? And once we get there, where will we stay? And what will Joseph do for work? And they're literally fleeing for their lives. 
I mean, it's not the picture of the nice little, you know, baby Jesus and Joseph and Mary in the manger. These are people who are refugees on the run. They're living alongside the road, possibly, living in ditches as they head to Egypt. And this was a horrible situation. And there were a lot of unknowns in this family. I was thinking today that today many of you are facing unknowns in your own life. Maybe it's a health unknown. Maybe it's an employment unknown. Maybe you've lost your job or you're not sure how long you'll keep your job. Just in the past few weeks, I've talked to three different guys who've kind of shared with me the fear of the unknown when it comes to employment. One of the guys that I was talking to uh, worked at Borg Warner for years and years. And then two years ago, he lost his job. He's been unemployed for the last two years. And Breveni, that is coming out, that's going to be on 332, um, he's applied for a job there. And he's fearful of knowing whether he'll get it or not. And if he does get it, what it's going to require is he'll have to leave his family for three months and go to Germany to be trained. And another fear, and the fear of the unknown, was just all over his voice when we sat down and ate. I was talking to a guy who's been unemployed for almost a year. It's the second Christmas that they didn't have enough money to get anything for their kids. And this will be a time that's very difficult. And I got a call this last week and he called me and said, Hey, I sent a reference to you to fill out and I was just wondering if you filled it out. And you could just hear the fear in his voice. Why am I not hearing something? And I told him, yeah, I sent it back. But the fear was very great. And the fear of whether or not they're going to be able to pay for his wife's medical bills and rent. And he told me, my real hope is that we have the worst winter ever. Because the one thing that I can do is I can remove snow and make some extra money. Then I talked to a guy who actually got a job this week, but before he learned that, he had been unemployed for five months. And he was to the point where the emergency fund, the 401k, everything else was kind of dripping away. And he was left to say, you know what, if I have to commute an hour and a half or two hours away, I'll take a job that will pay me even less than what I was making before. And you could just hear the fear consuming them. And the Bible says this, what I fear the most overtakes me. And I just want to ask you this morning, you answer this for yourself. What is the fear that is overtaking you? The fear of the unknown, it can overtake us. And in scary times like these, we hold on to the words of the angels on that first Christmas when they looked down upon the first Christmas family and they said, do not be afraid I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people, to the shepherds and to Mary and Joseph and to all people. Over and over throughout the Bible, you know one of God's things that He says over and over again is, fear not, do not be afraid. Fear not, do not be afraid. Because God wants to set us free from our fear so that He can use us. Well, a second fear that can distract us from being used by God is the fear of inadequacy. The fear of inadequacy. I'm sure Mary and Joseph 
felt like this. I'm only a carpenter. I'm a teenage girl. I'm not smart enough. I'm too young. I don't have the right job. I'm poor. I'm uneducated. I don't know enough of the Scriptures. Surely God could choose to use somebody else rather than me. And yet it's so amazing to me that every single year we tell their story. And the amazing impact that they had because they chose to get beyond their inadequacy and to be used by God. But you know what the truth is? No matter how confident you think you are, most of us feel inadequate a lot of the time. From the outside, people look at us and they're like, man, that person, they got it all together. But on the inside, it's like, man, I don't have it together at all. I have a friend who's been working very hard over the past few years of overcoming her fear of inadequacy. It's not been an easy process. In fact, it's been very difficult at times. But when she started to face her fear, all of a sudden, God has been able to set her free from her fear of being inadequate. And so I'd just like you to hear her story this morning. If you would, please uh, welcome Cindy Lynch to come up. said, my name is Cindy, and I am here to share my story. Um, I was raised in a home where God wasn't mentioned, and I had no idea who Jesus Christ was. I was the middle child in a family of three girls. I was very much a tomboy and preferred doing things with my dad, like camping and fishing. It seemed like my mother and I had little in common. I grew up to be a shy and backward child. I had many fears of being inadequate. I felt like I just didn't belong. That, that I wasn't good enough, I was a tomboy and overweight. So at a very young age, I started eating food to comfort my fear of inadequacy. My parents and grandmother were heavy and had bad eating habits. We ate starchy, high-calorie meals, desserts, and snacks. I loved staying all night with my grandmother on the weekends. She gave me chocolate donuts, potato chips, coffee with lots of sugar, candy bars, and ice cream. My grandmother was a good woman who lived a hard life, and I think giving me goodies was one way to show her love. In high school, my fear of, being, of not being adequate grew even more. I had very few close friends and didn't like school. I was overweight, often being made fun of, and I just didn't fit in. I got married a few months after graduating from high school at the age of 18 to my first real boyfriend. I had given up my plans of going to college to be a teacher to be with him. He joined the Army, and we moved to Germany for two years. Things didn't start out so well in our new life together as husband and wife, and he was unfaithful to me the fourth month into our marriage. I felt inadequate, like it was somehow my fault. I also felt trapped and too embarrassed to go home to my family. I felt like a failure. After returning to the United States, we had our first child. I knew that I wasn't in a healthy marriage, but I was in denial about it and thought that having a baby would make things better. A baby would make me feel more adequate. My grandmother, who I dearly loved, passed away from cancer a few months later. I didn't take her passing well and didn't want to accept that she was gone. 
I decided after her death that I wanted to know God better. I always believed there was a God, but I just didn't know him. I thought I would get to know him by reading the Bible. I started at the beginning in the Old Testament with Genesis, but didn't get very far because the more I read, the more confused I got, and I just gave up. I stayed in my marriage and had another child. I loved my children very much and made them my whole world. They helped to take away some of my fears of being inadequate, or at least I thought. Even though I tried to read the Bible, I was too fearful of going to church. I mean, what if everyone looked at me? What if I were put on the spot? What if people knew the truth about my crumbling marriage? I remember often feeling guilty for not taking my children to the church. But how could I do that when I didn't think it was a place that I could be accepted? I thought it was too late. I thought that people that went to church didn't have the same kind of problems that I did and that at some, and somehow they would know what was going on in my life. Life got tougher living in a relationship that was a lie. I was a stay-at-home mom, completely dependent on my husband financially. My husband was drinking by this time, and he was diagnosed as manic-depressive. We lived our lives around his moods. He was either depressed to the point of staying in bed or many times on the couch where we had to quietly tiptoe around him or he was high as a kite, ready to conquer the world. I lived in fear that my kids would return home from school to find that my husband had committed suicide. I tried to make the best life possible for my children, but after 20 years in a miserable marriage and feeling totally inadequate, I decided it was time to give up and get out. By this time, I was working, and even though I knew it would be difficult to raise my children on my own, I really felt I had no choice. I couldn't put my children or myself, for that matter, through any more. I filed for a divorce, and my husband moved immediately to Florida before telling his children goodbye. My heart ached for them, and again, I felt it was my fault, and my fears just got even greater. Now I was a single woman and felt no one wanted me. I worked two jobs to support my family and was very angry with the world. I was afraid that I would not be able to provide for my kids, yet I did not seek guidance from God. I tried to do it on my own. I guess in some ways I was afraid of God, too. My children grew up and moved out. Years later, I was still struggling with fears of inadequacy. I had a food addiction, relationship problems, money problems, you name it. I felt that I was treading water with a chance of drowning at any minute. I knew there was something missing in my life, and I knew what it was. God, but how? Where would I start? I heard a commercial on the radio where I heard an invitation to the church, a church called the Jar Community Church. The pastor said his name was Chris, and he would be the one up front wearing jeans. Wow, wearing jeans in church? I thought that I would give it a try. I asked two friends if they wanted to go with me to try out this church. We went the following Sunday on December 18, 2005. I remember the first time walking into a church and not feeling out of place. The people were friendly, and the teaching caught my attention. This was the beginning of a relationship with God and the beginning of overcoming my fear of inadequacy. After a while, I found things happening in my life that I could not explain. I started to talk to total strangers while in the community, very uncharacteristic of me. I saw people in a different light, seeing people in a more positive way, and for the first time I was able to see myself not as a victim blaming others for my misfortune, but as a woman who had been lost and who desperately wanted a new life. 
Slowly, my fears of inadequacy began to diminish. My relationships with others changed for the better. I was learning how to love and trust people in my life, and most of all, trusting in God. I was learning not to worry constantly about money and knew in my heart that God would take care of me no matter what. Psalms 9:10 says, Those who know your name trust in you, for you, O Lord, have never abandoned anyone who searches for you. Last year, I was asked to be a part of a ministry called Celebrate Recovery that focuses on helping people with their hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Basically, helping people to come o- overcome their fears of being inadequate. Being a part of Celebrate Recovery has given me the tools to grow closer to God and others and become healthier by following the principles of the program. I know that I will always have things that I will struggle with in my life, but I know that there are people that care about me and that God will always be with me no matter what, and I do not fear being inadequate anymore. Thanks for listening to my story, and if you struggle with feeling like you are not enough this Christmas, I want you to know that if Jesus could set me free from my fears, I know he can set you free from your fears too. Well, even in our inadequacy, even in our weakness, the Bible tells us that God is more than enough. The Bible says this, God's power works best in our weakness. God's power works best in our weakness. You see, all God asks is that you bring what you can bring. And then I bring what I can bring, and He will bring the rest. And our lives will be changed because we bring what we have, even the fears, to Him and allow Him to work in the midst of it. And before long, what you begin to see in your life is exactly what Cindy just said, that she began to start being a change agent away from fears and towards faith of loving people and loving God with all of her heart. Well, the third fear that can distract us from being used by God is the fear of change. The fear of change. Mary and Joseph knew in that very first Christmas story that if they allowed God to use them, it would alter their life. Their life would be changed if they were open to it. And friends, nothing in this world scares us more than change. And I think the reason why we fear change is because change is difficult to predict. And it's even more difficult to accept. Most of us can't forecast change. I mean, you ever watch the weatherman or weatherwoman before? And they tell you one thing, and then you wake up the next morning, guess what? Totally different, right? Because they can't predict things. And we can't either when it comes to the issue of change. So most of us would rather keep things as the status quo to stay in our comfort zones, something that's comfortable and familiar, but without change, folks, you'll never grow. You look at the animal kingdom. If change doesn't happen, animals don't grow. And it's the same with us. Another reason why I think we fear change is because change takes risk. Change takes risk. There's a woman uh, in our church named Megan who she and her husband have been coming recently just trying to learn about God and connecting with Him. And they have a a little boy. 
And Megan is a stay-at-home mom. And not long ago, she asked me and said, you know, I stay at home, but I do have some time to where I could actually volunteer to serve in some way. And so I was wondering if there's any volunteer opportunities that you could give to me. And she told me the reason is, is because I just kind of feel this sense that I need to step out and change and take a risk to serve. And she was a little bit apprehensive, but she said, you know, give me some things and I'll go for it. And I gave her a couple of options for her to look at, and she investigated them. And I didn't hear from her for several weeks. And then this past week, I get an email from her, and I'd just like to read it to you. Hey, Chris, I'm sorry it has taken me so long to get back with you. So I have a weird story for you. I always like when that begins the second sentence, you know. I have a weird story for you. Okay, so you emailed me back about volunteering probably a week or so ago. And I was laying in bed thinking about it, and I wished I could find a more personal way to volunteer, as in helping a family or a single mom or someone like that. So as I was laying there, I thought of this girl that I used to do her hair. She has two kids, ten months and four, I think. Her husband left her when her son was three months old, and she has no family. Actually, she does, but they're not really much help. I thought, duh, why wouldn't I have thought of her before? And so I just said a little prayer that God would help me know how to open up to her. And that very next day, here's where the weird part comes, she texted me and said she was in the hospital. I haven't talked to her in months. How ironic. I immediately called her back and and I asked her what she was doing with her kids. And she said, I have no idea. Can you imagine? She called their dad, and this is what he said. You're the mom. Figure it out. Wow. And then I asked her, did she want me to keep them? She was speechless, and she said, oh my goodness, you would really do that? Now, Chris, she doesn't know me that well at all. So that shows how desperate she is. So needless to say... I helped her and plan to continue to. I just wanted to ask you for prayers for her and her kids. We fear change. Because change always takes risk. And risk is really spelled F-A-I-T-H, faith. Every time you take a step of faith, what you're doing is taking a risk. And Megan knew it, and she knew that if she was going to serve... Someone else outside of herself, she would have to take a risk. And as she did that, though, and she got out of her comfort zone, you began to see how God opened the doors. You know, when change comes, I think often what we think is, God, why are you messing up my life? Why are you messing up my life? In fact, sometimes I think we think, well, God must be against me. But folks, that is a lie. If you've ever had that thought before that somehow God is going against you, it's a lie. The Bible tells us this. If God is for us, who can be against us? Now you would say, you know what, there are a lot of people that I know that are against me. But there is one person who is never against you, and that's God. 
In fact, you could start every sentence of your life with these words, God is for me. God is for me as I face this problem. (coughs) God is for me as I go through this tough experience. God is for me as I have this difficult time with my spouse. God is for me as I go through this hard relationship. God is for me as I struggle at work. I mean, every single sentence, just God is for me. Everything in life, no matter what it is, God is for you. And how do you know this? Just because He said it? No, because He proved it. God sent His one and only Son to earth on that very first Christmas, 2,000 years ago, to remind us, do not be afraid, I am for you. In the birth of Jesus, what happened was God came downstairs from heaven and He hung out with us so that Jesus could relate with us. God was uh, Jesus, full incarnate. Jesus Himself was God. And He relates with us in that way because He understands our human experience. The Scripture tells us He did not sin. And the reason why He could go to a cross and die is because He was sinless. He could take on all the sin of the world because He had none. And you exchange whatever's messed up in your life and He takes it on. And that throughout His death, He took on all the sins so that you could be set free from your fears and from your guilt. And friends, if God ever asks you to change, I hope you'll say yes. Because the promise is that if you choose to change and you get beyond that fear, He says this, My God will use His wonderful riches in Christ Jesus to give you everything you need. God will give you everything you need. If you would, I'd like you to pull out, this is the last thing you have to pull out, this Christmas invitation that was in your program. Now, I have a feeling that one of your greatest fears in life is inviting anyone to church. And the reason is because you're fearful of what they would say. You're fearful of the unknown. How will they respond? You're fearful of your own inadequacy. Of, you know, will I say the right thing? You're fearful of the change that it would take place for you to go to some of your friends who are disconnected from Christ or the church and say, you know what, I just thought I'd invite you to come and check out, uh, you know, this God of the universe. He wants to speak to you. He wants to show love to you. Now, folks, this week, I want to encourage you to get beyond your fears and to give this to somebody who you know is disconnected from Christ or the church. To get beyond it and just say, why don't you come? Because this invitation itself just may be the thing that helps them to connect and open themselves up to God. And then in the midst of that, that they might grow in God and that they might be in eternity because you chose to walk across the room and connect with them. And just to give you a little bit of encouragement, I was reading statistics this week and it says that 60% of people if they were just asked to have an opportunity to connect with God in church, that 60% of them would say yes. So that means next week, if all of us did it, we'd have 60% 
of people coming just because you chose to invite them. Now, here's the last thing. You might say, well, good, Bunch. I'm glad you told me about my fears. Made me feel really good about that. But the question is, how do you overcome them? And I could give you a whole bunch of psychological mumbo-jumbo stuff, but folks, when it comes right down to it, it's as simple as this. The key to overcoming your fears this Christmas is to remember this one phrase. God is for you, and God is with you. God is for you, and God is with you. 700 years before Jesus was born, a prophet by the name of Isaiah, a pastor, stood up and he said these words. He gave a prediction. The Lord Himself will choose the sign. A child will be born to a virgin and she will call Him Emmanuel, meaning God is with us. Jesus was God in the flesh and nowhere has the phrase ever been more true that God is for you and God is with you than on that very first Sunday of Easter when God said, my son will give up his life for all of the world. And he said, just as I promised 700 years before that I am with you and I will never leave you, I do it again. God does not leave us. God will never leave you. I have a feeling that some of you this week, you've had someone leave your life. Maybe it was a friend. Maybe a job left you. Maybe a wife left you. Maybe a husband left you. Maybe your kids left you. And each one of us have experienced what it's like to be pushed away, pressed aside, being left out. And the Christmas message is, do not fear because I will never leave you. That's the greatest promise of the Bible. I will never leave you. I love what it says in Hebrews. This is one you might want to cut out and put up somewhere. It says this, God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we can have confidence. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. You know, some of you this morning, maybe that's just what you need to hear. That God is for you and God is with you. And like I said, nowhere in the history of the entire world do we know where that came to become such a reality as when Jesus willingly gave Himself up on the cross voluntarily doing so for you. Today we're going to celebrate communion. And there are uh, tables that are around us. And communion is a time in which we not only remember that Jesus Christ came as a little baby, but also that He was willing to eventually go to a cross so that the fears that are in your life could be set free. What Jesus wants more than anything else is a relationship with you. There are four tables around us. You don't have to go to every single one. There are some in the back too. And I was thinking about it this week that we could put a sign on each one of these tables that would say, fear free. 
fear-free. Because when you come to that table, you are set free from that fear. And so if you have a relationship with Jesus, or today is the day in which you want to do that, these tables are open for you. And when you come, what I'd like you to do is to just go ahead and take a piece of the bread, tear it off, and you'll dip it into the juice. And you'll take and eat. And in the midst of doing that, you're forgiven of your sins. And you are free from fear. That's what Jesus wants to do today at every single table. So I want to give you just a couple of moments just between you and God to connect. I don't know what your fears are. I only know what mine are. But that you would just release those to Him. Say, take them away. I want to overcome them today. Tell Him the things that you're sorry for. Maybe this morning something happened and you know what? Don't go through the rest of the day. Get set free today. then be reminded that God is for you and God is with you. And Isaac and Derek are going to lead us in a song during this time. They'll give you a few moments to just connect, but then you can come, take it, and then come back to your seat, and we'll celebrate together that today when we walk out of these doors, we're set free from fear. So take a moment right now. Maybe bow your head, close your eyes, whatever, but just connect with God, the one who knows you best and loves you most.
gift and your sacrifice. God, I just pray that just um, just as you sacrifice yourself for us, that we would live that out this week and we would sacrifice ourselves for for our families, for our friends, for for our enemies, for um, just pray that you would um, just take all that we've learned and just let it sink in deep. We just thank you for what we've received. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed. Go knowing that you're always loved in this place.